This is episode 30 with Katie Milligan, Program Manager for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Heartland Forward. Welcome everyone to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor NWA podcast. Entrepreneurs don't always think that the accelerator is for them. I think that it's really important that we find those innovators and prop them up. How do we drive change? How do we look at trends and think strategically about policy? What I love about it is that this research that we've been doing is really driving programs. Welcome back to an all new episode of The Multiplier Effect. This is your host, Jessica Head, and today we're joined by Katie Milligan from Heartland Forward. Heartland Forward is a nonpartisan nonprofit think and do tank focused on improving economic performance in the center of the United States. They believe that transformative research concentrates on factors that impact the American Heartland's economy through innovation such as research development and commercialization, human capital formation and labor force skills training, entrepreneurship awareness and capacity, access to early stage risk capital, and issues around immigration, demographics, health status, and quality of place. Heartland Forward is based in Bentonville, Arkansas, but their work focuses on the entire Heartland region. So we're thrilled to be sitting down with their innovation and entrepreneurship arm with program manager Katie. Katie brings the power of public policy to building entrepreneurial communities. Previously served as the chief of staff for Start Co., a venture development organization based in Memphis, Tennessee, and as the Director of Small Business and Entrepreneurship for the Delta Regional Authority. Katie launched the Delta Entrepreneurship Network, a competitive fellowship program to identify entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship support organizations in the Delta. Katie has served as a U.S. delegate at the Global Entrepreneurship Congress and is currently serving as the board chair for the Clinton School of Public Service Alumni Board. Janem sat down with her to discuss the newest installment of their annual report titled most dynamic micropolitan regions that ranked 515 micropolitan regions by their economic performance. Here at Endeavor, we recently published an insight report focused on rural entrepreneurship in the United States. The report states businesses that grow to 50 or more employees, especially ones operating in highly productive and tech-enabled sectors, have a disproportionate impact on job creation. Adding just one or two new companies that scale beyond 50 employees can significantly reduce unemployment in rural counties that typically have populations of around 15,000. Increasing the number of entrepreneurial companies that scale in NWA that can scale in the heartland can strengthen the local economy by attracting more revenue from outside the immediate region and increase local productivity in terms of average GDP per employee. And after Janem's conversation with Katie this past week, we think she agrees. Janem, take it away. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope that you and your family and coworkers and friends are all safe and doing well. I know just before starting recording, we were talking about the vaccine. So we're both really excited about one day getting that. To kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much for having me. So I am a born and raised Arkansan. I went to the University of Mississippi and then came home to attend the Clinton School of Public Service. And after the Clinton School, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. My background had been in politics 
politics. And I thought maybe I wanted to be a political consultant, but I actually started working for a small nonprofit startup company that was focused on education and specifically teaching public service and entrepreneurship to high school students. And I really fell in love with this idea of entrepreneurship and helping people think through their business ideas in a way that was scalable and sustainable. That really prompted my interest in this space after Noble Impact and ended up working for Delta Regional Authority. DRA is focused on eight states in the Mississippi River Delta, so 260 counties, and really looked at how we were focused on connecting entrepreneurial hubs. So that was one of the things that really led me to be interested in this type of work, seeing places like New Orleans or Memphis or even rural places like Helena doing cool entrepreneurial things. No one at the time was really talking about it and really trying to understand how we should talk about the region. I got to do a lot of traveling, which was really exciting and meet a lot of really great entrepreneurs. We really just started to focus on highlighting the great innovative stuff that was happening throughout the Delta area. But most recently, I just moved back to Arkansas from Memphis, Tennessee. I was working for an accelerator program called Start Co. And I'm really excited. I've been on the Heartland Forward team a few months now and in Northwest Arkansas. So glad to be home and glad to be part of a great organization. We are very glad to have you here. I'm so curious before we move on, how have you seen the state change over time, especially in the Delta? I mean, you were doing such important work there. What accomplishments have been made to help entrepreneurs in the Delta and to help entrepreneurship and what's still missing? One of my favorite things that's happened over the past, I would say really when I began this work about six years ago, is the increase of women in leadership in ecosystem building. I have friends that have worked in this space and we joke that we were two of the only girls in the entire state working on entrepreneurship, but there's so many incredible women and so much more diversity. What's happening in South Arkansas, especially in Pine Bluff, is really exciting to watch. And the way that they have really capitalized on the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff and also the other assets that are in the community, as well as Simmons and working those public-private partnerships, that's been really exciting and I think very important to watch. So I think Arkansas is on the right track. Obviously, one of the things that I would love to see is an increase of capital into seed stage entrepreneurs and increase of women and diverse founders, an increase of women and diverse people in leadership. But I'm really happy to be back. And it's been really fun to see how much it's grown and changed. That is really exciting. And I think you're absolutely right. Capital is going to drive so much of that and not just capital flowing to entrepreneurs, women and of color, but really uh, investors of women in color and sort of having that whole cycle go around. So tell us about the mission of Heartland Forward. I'm so excited about the work you are all doing. And I love that sort of tagline. It's a think and do tank, which I think is so relevant today. Yes. Um, and, and we believe that research really can drive change. So talk to us about the work you do at Heartland Forward and the sort of four pillars that you guys have in terms of the things that you're trying to affect change on. Absolutely. So we are a relatively new organization. We started in 2019 and we started with this focus on research and really looking at health and wellness, workforce development and human capital, entrepreneurship and innovation and regional competitiveness. So looking at how we make the heartland of the country. So if you are looking at a map, think Texas to the Canadian border, over to Ohio, down to Alabama and everything in between. One of the questions I think that Heartland Forward continues to ask is how do we can drive change in those states? How do we look 
look at trends and think strategically about policy, the programs that we want to put into the heartland. What I love about it is that this research that we've been doing over the past few years is really driving programs that we are doing, looking at how the research is driving change, I think is really important and how it identifies the gaps. And so that's the other part of it is one of the big pushes that's been happening, obviously, with uh, the coronavirus is looking at unemployment and how that's changed throughout the heartland. We actually do a weekly unemployment update on our website. And so you can see the patterns that have occurred throughout uh, the past year and a half. And, and I think it's very telling because it also looks at how places are recovering, which is really important, and what strategies they're implementing to recover as well as some of the conversations that people are having around recovery, not just from an individual standpoint, but also from a business and ecosystem standpoint. Research being the backbone of programs and helping to drive programmatic strategy is something that sets us apart from other organizations nationally, but also is something that really is going to continue to be very important, especially as more organizations are doing this work, which is a great thing. We want to make sure that we're not duplicating efforts. And I want to go back to the the work that you're doing and the programming that you're putting out, but let's touch on this recovery aspect. I'm curious if there are any patterns you've seen that are helping cities and individuals recover faster than other regions. And one of the big things we've talked about I'm going to refer our listeners. We did a 2021 predictions report. So we picked some of our leaders in industry across Northwest Arkansas and asked them to predict how their industries are going to develop over 2021. And one of the key highlights was about people moving to the heartland to take advantage of space and beauty and nature and away from the coasts and density in order to have that space during a pandemic, for example, but also because their job is now going to be more flexible and able to do that. Are you seeing that pattern play out? And are you seeing that in the unemployment numbers? If you have data on that, we'd love to pick brain on it. Absolutely. One thing that we're seeing is the communities that have done this resiliency work on the front end prior to COVID-19 obviously are recovering faster. Really diverse economies and economies that are putting funding in different places, looking at outdoor recreation and looking at arts and culture and investing in their university and investing in new young firms. Those are the ones that are bouncing back a lot quicker. Really, it's about having a comprehensive strategy, helping allocate resources to those hardest hit. Obviously, we know restaurants and tourism are some of those. And so thinking outside of the box about that, one thing I saw in Memphis that I really loved was a local organization there had started an accelerator program for restaurants. They were partnering with entrepreneurs and with university students to help even little things like how do you reorient your dining room so that you can do to-go orders while still maintaining safety and healthy distance. And I think it's going to take that level of collaboration and and partnership for communities to really recover. But it's a long road. And I think there's a place for everyone. I think there's a place for corporates and a place for government to play a space in this. But as individuals, I think that's something else that we should be doing is if you are able, definitely support your small businesses and your local restaurants. Even doing small things like liking posts and sharing content, those are free 
easy things that make a big difference. So I think everything from an individual level to a really systemic level is what it's going to take for economies to recover. One of the things Northwest Arkansas is doing really well, which is exciting to watch, is incentivizing people to move here. You talked about remote workers, and I think there are really cool places like Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and Northwest Arkansas and Tulsa are investing money into remote workers to come move, and they want people to stay, and they want interesting people to be here and working in this space, and I think that's great. I think you also have to simultaneously invest in the people that are already here and create really great jobs, and you do that by supporting entrepreneurs. We know that the statistics say young firms are the lead job creator, so I think we have to really put a strategic investment in those firms if we want to see our economies continue to grow. Yeah, the Life Works Here program, I think, is the one that you were referencing for Northwest Arkansas. As far as I know, just peripherally from the numbers, it's already been a huge success in terms of the number of applicants. And you get $10,000 and a bike to move here. And I can say as someone who moved here, having had no idea what it would be like, that it is a phenomenal place to live through the work of organizations like Heartland Forward, but also the Northwest Arkansas Council and all the things that you get from being in the Ozarks, right? And right. But having access to a city. So tell us a little bit about the Heartland Summit and tell us you know, what that event is and what you're planning for 2021, if we can get a sneak preview. Yes, absolutely. So Heartland Summit is our premier event. And we did the last one in 2018. We were supposed to have the other one last year. Obviously, that got delayed. But we are crossing our fingers for a Heartland Summit in 2021 in the fall, in person, hopefully. So everyone go get your vaccines. Um, but also, we'll have some virtual components. And it's really, it's such a cool event. The tagline is meeting in the middle. And so it really looking at what are the things that are happening here in the heartland and what are the the things that we can prop up, talk about and support everything from entrepreneurship and innovation to musicians to arts and culture. And it's a really immersive experience. I know everyone that came last time had the option to do hikes and biking and all kinds of things to really get a sense of Northwest Arkansas and a sense of Bentonville. It's really a strategic engagement of thinking really high level about some of these issues that we're seeing. One of the things we keep talking about is looking towards 2026 and communities looking towards 2026. It's just a really important year for our country. And how do we continue to strive to make communities better moving towards 2026? For those who hadn't heard about the Heartland Summit event before, 2020 was supposed to have the second live conference event. And you guys did a fantastic job pivoting and providing content virtually with some fantastic speakers too. The in-person event was truly magical. It was a place where, and I was lucky to attend, and there was a place where people who cared about education and entrepreneurship and health uh, were able to exchange ideas in small format, which you can rarely do at conferences. And it was a place to be able to see what Bentonville has to offer and see sort of as a proxy for the heartland, right? All of our states have these incredible communities and we just don't know about them, especially these days when travel is so limited. So it was truly a fantastic event. I cannot wait to see what you guys do with the next one, because I think the topics are going to be so much more valuable, really than ever because revitalization of the heartland and affecting employment and affecting education in this period when so much has changed is going to have a huge impact on what the country looks like in five years, as you mentioned, sort of the 2026 and beyond. Yes. And I think it takes all of those players and all of those industries to come together to make that type of change and to have those discussions. So I'm excited as well. So fingers crossed we can do in person. I'm very excited about that. And for people who join virtually, I think it'll still be really interesting and a great way to connect. And you guys at the Heartland Forward published an annual report on the most dynamic micropolitans. And I think you put out, you mentioned 
your Metropolitan Report in December. What are some takeaways from those from those reports? And what kind of trajectory are the cities that are growing the fastest? What do they? What kind of trajectory do they have in terms of you know where they'll be in five years? Right. So we did actually re- release the Metro report in December. So um, the, both of those reports are available on our website, and it is really interesting to see some of the communities. Especially, I'm very interested in the micropolitans growing up in a small town, and so um, it's been very interesting to see kind of what are the similarities between some of those places. And I think it is very similar to economies that are bouncing back very quickly. They have a really robust tourism sector. They often have great things to do outside. They have cultural events and cultural aspects. And so what we're seeing is tourism is driving a lot of that. For instance, Hood River, Oregon is one that's on the list. They are the windsurfing capital of the world. So creating an identity for your community is, is really important. You know, we also see a ton of influence from universities and colleges that are in these communities and their connection. I really can't understate that campus to community connection is really important. It's been really neat to see some of those and it's a great way to make your travel list for 2021 and 2022. (laughs) We care about this a lot at Endeavor. It's the reverse brain drain. So, you know, we see really smart entrepreneurs leaving because that's where the capital is or that's where the talent is. But if we can get those people to stay and bring the capital and bring the talent because they have their companies growing and because they're inspiration and innovators in their own regions, that's going to have such an impact too. So that's definitely part of our mantra is that, you know, sort of keep our businesses, our scale-ups and the most impactful businesses local. Um, There are two things I want to touch on, which you had mentioned, but uh, one is really, you know, bringing around the diversity. Obviously, you know, we have an issue in Arkansas around the companies that are scaling and the people that are starting companies uh, being much smaller percentage of the populations that they represent. So for example, the Marshallese community or the Black community or the Latinx community in Northwest Arkansas is a much bigger population relative to how many of those individuals actually are starting and scaling businesses. What should we be doing as communities, as support organizations like Endeavor to really help change that? What is a driving force that we can work on? I think one of the the big things is meeting people where they are. Uh, There's great organizations or communities like NWA Girl Gang, which is an online community, or just different segments of the population that are doing things and organizers and going to them as opposed to the expectation that I think sometimes uh, ecosystems can have of if you build it, they will come. And the truth is, is that entrepreneurs don't always think that the accelerator or the incubator is for them or for their idea. And so I think that it's really important that we find those innovators and those um, community change makers and help prop them up where they are instead of expecting them to show up to, you know, a not to pick on WeWork, but to show up to a WeWork or to show up to a makerspace or to show up to a, you know, startup weekend. Sometimes that happens and that's great. But more often than not, especially with this kind of image that we have of the Facebooks and the Twitters, it's still very much a, a visual image of a young white college dropout male that's going to make it big. And, and and the reality is, is that entrepreneurs come in every age and every color and every orientation. And so we need to make our communities more reflective of that. We need to make our spaces more reflective of that. And I think the other thing too, is to really have candid conversations with the entrepreneurs that are in the networks or in the ecosystems about the barriers. And one of the things that I've seen in 
places like Detroit or Memphis and some places in Texas is that the people who are doing really meaningful work in diversity and inclusion in entrepreneurial spaces are having these conversations and coming to the table very humbly. And I think you do have to check your ego at the door if you really want to make meaningful change because some of these conversations are really hard and some of the recommendations are kind of hard to hear. But doing so is only going to help your community and help your ecosystem because we know that diverse teams do better and diverse founders do better, are more successful. And so I think if we really want change and more diversity at the table, those are some things that we need to do. I love that idea of elevating people, change makers within communities rather than trying to sort of reach out from the outside, but elevate from the inside. And I I know that there's a lot of focus on that in Arkansas, especially with some of our community leaders um, to be able to say, okay, you know, here is, here's a path to success and let's not impose that on you, but let's elevate from within to help you, you know, help the community leaders support their own community members, which I think is a great idea. And then your last point you made is capital and the gap of capital. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of a stigma when you don't come from the coast because, you know, the stigma is you're not going to get the best terms or the best valuation. And it's not just a stigma, it's reality, actually. And stigma sort of underplays that. What should communities in the heartland do that have great entrepreneurs, but are not getting the best terms or don't have an inflow of capital? What does the research tell us around how to make change in that field? So I think there's a couple of things that ecosystems can do. I think one is ecosystem builders need to build those relationships with the coast. I think that's an inevitable reality. And I think coastal investors are getting better at recognizing the deal flow is not concentrated just in Boston, San Francisco, and New York. Um, So making those relationships, I think, is paramount. I think the other thing is we have such a infatuation with venture capital, but that's not the only pathway to funding. And I think really looking at what are some of the barriers to local funding and if that is angel funding or if that is a loan through your local bank, addressing those, I think, is incredibly important. And helping entrepreneurs navigate that is also going to be really, really important because that's where it starts. We know that the funding gap is actually at the beginning of an entrepreneur's life cycle. And so I think it's not just looking at how do we get the funding, it's also how do we help entrepreneurs, be it brick and mortar entrepreneurs or high tech entrepreneurs, be good stewards of their money and make sound financial investments? How do they invest in scale? How do they invest in becoming, getting to a place where they can hire more workers? Um, One thing I do see with entrepreneurs, specifically in high tech, is the challenge around growing and scaling too quickly. And and so I think it's it's really important to have all of the support mechanisms around to help entrepreneurs grow on the pace that they need. But I think ecosystem builders also play a role in educating the community at large, especially around angel investing and how you develop a, an investment thesis or how you get involved with an angel network. If you're an entrepreneur, how do you get in front of an angel network? But also, I think it's not to be underutilized, the local capital and the traditional pathways of funding, like, like a bank, because those relationships can be lifelong and they can be really meaningful to entrepreneurs, especially if it's a, a community bank that can help support them through throughout their life cycle. I think when it comes to venture capital deal flow here, there are some great venture capital firms that are located in the heartland, like Flyover Capital in Kansas City is fantastic. There's some uh, a lot of really solid ag investors 
out of Iowa that are doing really great work and have this incredible farmer network. And so they're working hand in hand with entrepreneurs and farmers to make sure that these ideas are really meeting the customer need that the farmers have. So I think there are models to watch. We need to continue to support that deal flow as ecosystem builders and people with access to entrepreneurs. I think we need to continue to prepare entrepreneurs to be ready to pitch for venture capital. But I do think there is a little bit of education that has to happen with venture capitalists about investing in the heartland. There's a perception and some research that backs it up that investors in the heartland tend to be a little more conservative in their investments. And so I think preparing your entrepreneurs for both types of investors and really helping them navigate the questions that are inevitably going to come up it is part of being able to jump those hurdles. Especially now, I think there's some interesting resources. So we sh- I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the partnership that Startup Junkie has with Kiva. We have availability through the ASB TDC work that they're doing to help with PPP2. So to the extent that that's an option for people. There's definitely venture capital in the area that is small, but growing. And then the Archangel Alliance, definitely people should check that out. They sort of in central Arkansas, but doing a lot of great work for angel investors and also companies that need angel investment. So lots more too, but just a few that came to my head. Katie, let's switch gears a little bit. As part of our segment, we want to highlight our sponsor, the Northwest Arkansas Council. They aim to ensure our region's successful future by working with partners to advance our quality of life, improve the region's workforce, create jobs, and keep up with the region's impressive growth. There are so many things to love about the Heartland, so we are asking each guest on our show, what do you love most about living in the Heartland? I think living here is a great combination of the things you want in a city, but all of the things you love about a small town. And so it's a perfect blend of being able to walk to the grocery store, but also ride your bike or walk trails. And so I think that having both of those is really having the best of both worlds. Plus the people are incredibly kind and welcoming and I'm biased as an Arkansan, but we're the best. No bias there. I totally agree. And I'm not a native Arkansan, so uh, I, I'm backing you up there. We're still, um, we, we count you, so. <laughs> Great. The founder of Endeavor, Linda Rotenberg, has always said, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we also like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your call me crazy moment? I, I have to say, probably joining Noble Impact right out of graduate school. I had no experience in entrepreneurship. And one of the things that Noble Impact was trying to do was teach entrepreneurship with a public service lens to high school students. So within about three weeks of being on the ground, I was teaching 10th graders at East M High School in Little Rock. And I I think I was, uh, this is insane. What am I doing? I know my parents were like, what are you doing? But it was such a great experience and it gave me the opportunity to really fall in love with entrepreneurship, especially social entrepreneurship and see how you can create sustainable change with revenue and continue to grow and scale. So uh, plus 10th graders have the best ideas ever and we should all just listen to their entrepreneurial endeavors. A hundred percent. I I can, I cannot tell you how, how afraid I would be to teach 10th graders. I feel like that's that you, and you can't show them fear, right? Is that the, is that the Oh moment? no. Yes, absolutely. And they're all just, they all just like stare at you, like waiting for instruction and you're like super overwhelming. So yeah, absolutely crazy. Teachers are incredible and my hat is off to all of them because they are doing, doing the Lord 
Lord's work. A hundred. I mean, teachers, you, you're all amazing. That's how I feel. My mom's still a teacher. She's teaching at 70 uh, through a pandemic. And I, I, I don't know how she does it. So oh, she is a warrior. There's no, I mean, there's no other way to talk. There's not, no other explanation. There really isn't. There were, I'm so thankful for all of you, all of you teachers. Um, and lastly, something quick and digestible, a few rapid fire questions that our listeners love hearing about. What time do you wake up and what time is bedtime? So wake up is between like around 6.30. Um, and at our house, we have a prompt 10 p.m. bedtime. I have a four-month-old puppy and she is very adamant about a 10 p.m. bedtime. I cannot tell you how many people, I the puppy thing is real. It is real. Whoever owns puppy businesses and animal healthcare and animal food businesses are, uh, they're in the, they're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone I know got a dog during the pandemic. So yes. what, what is your dog's name? So her name is Maple. Uh, she's sleeping at my feet right now. So she's part of the podcast. Excellent. That's what we like. Uh, what are you reading right now? So I actually am reading Brad Feld's new book about startup communities and <laughs> I'm sure uh, you copy right here. <laughs> yes, I love it. Uh, yeah, so the startup community way. And um, so reading that and then also reading, so that's my nonfiction, which I try to read. And then I'm reading American Dirt, which is my fiction book, which I would highly, highly recommend. Ooh, good. I'm always in the market for good fiction. What is one new habit that you've developed since we've been in quarantine for 800 years? At the- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I would say I, it, I've gotten a lot better at cooking at home. I think we all have. Um, oh. I've gotten a lot more uh, adventurous with my cooking. And so one thing that I'm still trying to master is um, gnocchi, but I'm getting there. So... <laughs> I love it. In the next follow-up, I'll have it down. Excellent. Oh, I'm inviting myself over. Oh, anytime. Share a Noki meal. Um, And then what should I have asked you but didn't? So I would love to talk about kind of what we're looking for on the program side or looking ahead at 2021 for the program side for Heartland Forward. One of the things that we're going to be doing is working with four communities to pilot a community growth program and toolkit. And so we're in the developing stages of that right now. but really looking at how we bring together those builders that we were talking about earlier with the people with social capital and political capital and financial capital and building those bridges together to help communities grow and develop. And I'm really excited about this. This is kind of a sneak peek because we haven't made our official announcement just yet. So you guys are are getting kind of behind the scenes, but yeah, we're looking to make some official announcements on that and give every everyone more details on how they can get involved and engaged in the next couple of months. So stay tuned. And I would also say, if you haven't already, join our newsletter. We're always putting out great research, obviously, but also have started to highlight entrepreneurs around the heartland and things that they're working on. We had the founders of Jay Lowry on a quick video interview just this past month, and they're great and a really cool brand out of Birmingham. So definitely go follow and check out the website and also our Twitter. And so it's um, heartlandforward.org. Perfect. I would highly recommend joining their newsletter and checking out the team. I mean, the Heartland Forward team is phenomenal and so impressive, led by Ross Duvall, who's uh, a transplant uh, from California, worked with the um, Milken Institute. So everybody check that out. And uh, we are so excited to have had you on, Katie. Thank you so much for your time. 
time and from Maples for joining us. Thanks. (laughs) Um, And to our listeners, check out all her, check out the handles that she just mentioned and go to the website for Heartland Forward. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks to Katie for joining us on the show. For more information about this episode and Heartland Forward and also the Heartland Summit, head to our website at EndeavorNWA.org. See you next week.